it's pretty much changed the entire course of my career. Um, so like I said, I started in, um, I started in the construction industry and I don't know how much digging you've done, Reggie. Um, but you go through my Facebook profile pictures and you are going to find some WAP doozies when I went through my Western phase. Um, and I could care less about clothing. I wore whatever I didn't care. I just, but then once I finally learned the history of, I think it was the Chucka boot, um, is when it all switched. And I was like, dang, this is really cool. And there's so much impact that clothing has on us. And from that point on, it kind of was like, okay, I'm out of, I'm out of construction. I'm going right into fashion. This is where I want to be. This is what I love. So for me, I mean, on a day-to-day basis, yes, you could argue that it helps me in certain ways, but just from a career point of view, it's kind of shifted the entire trajectory of where, where I am today. I'm Reg Ferguson, and I'm a fashion consultant from New York City, born and raised. I've been helping men look fly for years, and now I want to help you learn more about menswear, the entrepreneurs, the brands, and top fashion tips on the Fashion Geek Podcast. When I was 23 years old, which seemed so long I was burnishing and laying down a foundation of my style, which began at birth, thanks to my mom and my grandparents. I had my first bespoke suit done at 23. Big shout out to the late Mr. Lemoyne Medore. Much love and respect. You were missed. I was working on purchasing suits for my two-week rotation matrix and accessories like shoes and antique watches. I think I was going to become a fashion consultant? No way. So what does it take at age 23 to say, I want to tailor and open up my own store, or I want to be a made-to-measure specialist and one day take over the store I'm currently working on? What can Generation Z offer in the world of tailored sweatpants to the culture of classic menswear? Yo, this is Reg Ferguson. Fashion Geek number one, how are you? Welcome to the ride. Thank you so much for listening. I'm a men's fashion consultant here in New York City, and I help fashion challenge men go from confused to confident. If you ever found yourself staring at the closet, not knowing what to wear, or if the idea of shopping for clothes makes you feel physically ill, then this is a show for you. My goal with every episode is to help make looking good feel easy. If you ever want my help, email me at reg at nyfashiongeek.com for a consultation. If you have a friend who's looking to level up his fashion style wardrobe game, please share an episode with them. While you're at it, if you dig the show and haven't already left us a review or a rating, please consider doing so now. Your shares, ratings, and reviews help us grow the show and help us get the possible guests and help more men dress their best. Today, we are going to talk with Austin Roberson, who is in Arlington, Texas, and Louis Jeremita, who's in Erie, Pennsylvania. And we're going to talk about something that the everyday man should have in their wardrobe. We're going to talk about made-to-measure clothing, but we're going to talk about it Gen Z style. I want to make an apology immediately. I said Roberson. I should have said Robertson. It's okay. I was going to say something about that jokingly, but you caught yourself. 
Yeah, I did. All good. <laughs> so Austin and Lewis in the building. How are you, gentlemen? Very well. Excited to be here. Likewise. Doing good. Just coming off of a cold, but uh, I've been worse. <laughs> well, it's good to know you're keeping safe out there. So before we go into our topic, gentlemen, please tell us. So what do the two of you do? So what do, so you, what do, do? you do? Go for it, Austin. <laughs> so uh, I am a uh, business partner at the uh, the Man Shop in Arlington, Texas. Um, I actually oversee our, our custom program as well. Um, I've been there for uh, just over five years and I have not worked a day yet. So it's been absolutely amazing. You know, I love what I do, learning the ins and outs of, of menswear and interacting with clients. And um, they have a problem as in they don't have the right clothes for the event they're going to, and I'm there to solve it. So that's specifically what I do. And personally myself, I am an alterations tailor and made to measure uh, salesman, I guess you could say. Uh, and in the short, I like to make memories with people through their clothing, um, whether that's fitting them or getting them something perfect to wear uh, for a big occasion, a transition in their life, um, whatever, whatever have you. But yeah, I'm in the clothing game, and mostly it's it's in the tailoring realm is where I where I lean most heavily. I think what's really going to be interesting about this conversation, not to put any pressure on the two of you gentlemen, is you represent that side of the business, but also we're peers because you both co-host together a podcast. You want to talk about that as well? Yeah, Lewis, why don't you start that off? I did the last time. It's only fair, right? Yes. Thank you, Austin. Um, Got to put you on blast a little bit. So me and Austin, we we co-host the Menswear Mindset, which is a podcast we started, um, what was it, three years, Austin? Three, four years ago? I think it was probably about three or four years ago. It was like... 2018. Yeah, it was 2018. Yeah, so quite a few years ago, pretty much just as a creative outlet for the two of us, uh, just to kind of talk about what we're learning in menswear. Um, at the time, we were both kind of like the heirs of menswear stores. I have since left and started my own. Um, but yeah, just a place for us to just kind of chat and thought that, hey, if we could build kind of a community around it, great. That has kind of morphed since then. As of the pandemic, we figured, hey, let's take some time, really beef this up, Um and try and get our name out there as some serious podcasters. So that's where we're at. That's a little bit of the backstory of the Menswear Mindset podcast. So really, like I said, we, we have an opportunity to interchange topics, to really be honest. But the main reason I was excited about having you gentlemen on is because, like it or lump it, you are part of generation Z. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a millennial. I'm a 94 baby, the year of legends. Oh. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yep. That's so how it's going to be. So one millennial and one Gen Zer. I'm sorry that he made this separation, Lewis. I thought you guys were a team. We are a team. We collaborate. Oh, I thought well. we were too. 
<laughs> it was an end. Of, it was the end of an era. It was a good run, my friend. <laughs> the bottom line is, you guys represent truthfully the the youngest in the classic menswear space. You know, versus let's say people in their seventies, for example. And I like to tease. I'm somewhere there in the middle. I'm older than the two of you. I'm younger than senior citizens. So. What led both of you, do you think, not that it's so oddly special or unique, but it is to the two of you, what led you to go, hey, this is the path I'm interested in? Well, well, part of the reason, and I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but part of the reason we had wanted to start this podcast was because we are coming from the perspective of being the future of menswear in our specific region. So, you know, Lewis being in Erie, Pennsylvania and me in Arlington, Texas in kind of, you know, central DFW area, you know, we're, uh, you know, I live in Fort Worth and so we're right between Fort Worth. So we get some Fort Worth clientele and then also some Dallas and mid city. So it's an interesting mix. And the shop that I'm at, my business partner is in his uh, early mid sixties. And so, you know, he'll be retiring in a couple of years. And so I'm his business partner, but also apprentice at the same time, because, you know, I'm 20, 26. And so I'm, I'm learning from under him. And I know Lewis was in a similar situation. So we thought, you know, there's other YouTubers out there who are talking about, Oh, you need a suit supply suit. And then, you know, get some monk straps. And it just seemed like everyone was talking about the same thing. So we thought, you know, how can we make ourselves different? So our podcast is coming from the perspective of actually in ownership of men's specialty retail and, and working in the industry. It's not just, you know, guesstimated information. It actually comes from, you know, the school of hard knocks. So you're working in a shop that has been around since 1972. Yeah, 1970, 1972, around that time. Right. And the current owner, who is your mentor, is Wally Harden. Yes, sir. And he acquired this company to me in a similar vein that you are. The previous owner that he worked for was Eddie Williams. Mm -hmm. So literally this company, this brand has gone through one succession and now it's prime for another. Mm -hmm. With the research I've done, and feel free to try to be as humble as you possibly can, Austin, because <laughs> I have a funny feeling when it comes to you being on camera or behind the microphone, you, uh, you kind of open up your chest there. <laughs> I try to be confident, but uh, truthful at the same time. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a balancing act. It's not easy being you. I feel from the research I've done, and I just want you to see if you plan to corroborate this, that you have brought the man shop into the digital age for the 21st century. Would that be an accurate assessment? I'd say so. I mean, we were already there, but the presence was so small. It needed, uh, it needed some sprucing up. So we were on social media before, but it was, you know, phone quality and which wasn't the best. And it just, it, it didn't seem like it was as well thought out as it could be. And so when you come into our shop, it's an experience. And so, you know, we sell, you know, good quality items, uh, you know, 
brands that people might be familiar with is Jack Victor, Samuelson, uh, Peter Millar, Johnny O, uh, Trask Shoes, you know, different brands like that. And, you know, it's an experience because Wally has been there since he was 17 years old. Uh, Mark is, yeah, Mark is the other gentleman who works there. And he's been there since 80, uh, 1989. And so there's a lot of experience at the shop. And so you're not getting a salesman. You're getting a professional who has studied the product. Um, we are looking at clients, hearing what is best for them, and then curating ensembles and pieces that benefit them best. And so I've, I've been in the industry since I was 17 as well. Um, so, you know, about to celebrate almost 10 years in this industry and, you know, coming from retail, uh, coming from custom clothing, uh, artisan jewelry. So, you know, taking the mixture of that and then blending it into this, we all have three different perspectives that are woven together in a, a tight, a tightly woven rope to benefit the client. I mean, that's our first and, and, and foremost focus is making sure that they're smiling. I mean, we're all going to have a perspective saying, Hey, I think you should be in this, but if the customer doesn't wear it, we haven't added value to them. So we add value through clothes. So do you feel that bringing the company, like you said, there was already a social media presence. Yes. And I observed that in my research, but it seems particularly through your advice or guidance that you're constantly having posts that are specific to the clientele, but, but, but more notably your IGTV series along with your YouTube. Would you care to elaborate about that? How did that come about? So uh, that was, we had realized that um, there are some people who enjoy going into depth on some subjects and some people you know, want just 30 seconds. So we, there were some things that needed to go in depth. We recently did a video a couple months ago about uh, Tenet, the movie Tenet. And uh, we actually did a movie review talking about their style. And so, oh, I missed that. Uh, so yeah, I think that was probably April. Uh, so it was a couple months ago. And we, uh, we, we thought, you know, let, let's go into depth a little bit more. Uh, there are some reels that we do that are, you know, 30, maybe 45 seconds and some things that are a few minutes that we go into depth. We actually did a four part series uh, at the end of 2019 going into a made to measure jacket that I had uh, made for myself talking about the fabric selection, the fitting process, the prepping, the alterations, different things like that, where people can get that experience on the digital end. And then once they come in, they already kind of have an idea of how it of, of how they will experience that for themselves. So one thing that we're implementing as well is uh, you can schedule a FaceTime. And so some people, you know, do, you know, due to the pandemic aren't comfortable going out and about. And with some people, we already have their measurements and we, we take pictures of what they've purchased before. So, you know, we've got little uh, wardrobes built up for them. So whenever they come in um, or if they, you know, contact us, we can jump on FaceTime and I can show them the live inventory that we have and they can shop from home, literally from home. I'm not just seeing the pictures. I'm walking them around the store as if they were walking beside me. Nice. So is the armory upset with you, Austin? <laughs> I, I wouldn't say so because we actually did 
Um, we, we purely copied the what I'm wearing and why series from them. And the first one we ever did, we actually tagged them in it. And I said, you know, we saw this video, got the inspiration. It was great. We wanted to make it our own. So, uh, Mark Cho, you know, uh, owner and founder of the armory started doing when, you know, he was still in Hong Kong, he wasn't able to leave. He started doing what I'm wearing and why. And I loved that idea because it wasn't just, Hey, here's a shirt. Here's a jacket. Here's some nice shoes. Come and buy them he was explaining why he was wearing this. There were sometimes he, you know, was dressed to the nines and sometimes he was dressed more casually. And he said, you know, I'm meeting with a client later. Um, they're a little bit more formal. So I wanted to dress to that, or uh, I'm going to be visiting clients. I'm going to be on the move. So that's why it shows this option. And I really loved that idea. So, uh, you know, we gave them props. We didn't just do a copy paste. We gave them our props saying, Hey, we love what you're doing. We want to do that for ourselves. And it kind of morphed into, doing that in our own way. So I, it turned into what I'm wearing Wednesday. And I would say, you know, I'm wearing these colors and patterns because I was inspired by a Texas sunset or, you know, I, there's a, one of my favorite cigar lounge in downtown Fort Worth is called Silverleaf Cigar Lounge. And they celebrated, I think five, five years. No, maybe about six years of being around and so I dressed up and, you know, went out there. So the outfit that I was wearing, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to Silverleaf after this and, you know, wanted to, wanted to celebrate. So just giving people a specific reason and uh, helping them, you know, understand why we select what we do. So Lewis, you're doing something totally different in the space. First of all, you're the owner of Primo Tailoring. And certainly I'd like you to elaborate about what led you to leave a store and go out on your own. But when I was doing research on you, I noticed that your presentation through YouTube really is about being instructional so people can learn the basics of tailoring. Yeah, absolutely. Care to comment on that, Louis? <laughs> For sure. Um, so I'll, I'll touch on the, the YouTube portion um, first. So yeah, the YouTube is actually a little bit different than most of the other content I create, whether it be on TikTok or Instagram um, or Facebook. And mainly that's just because I tried so many different things um, that didn't seem to work that when the educational tutorial stuff really started taking off, um, I kind of just figured I'm going to stick with it. And people have been reaching out to me and telling me to make more and giving me suggestions. So really the YouTube has really just been a, a process of finding my lane and sticking in it. Um, and then talking about Primo, yeah, I I am starting Primo Tailoring, which is going to be its own fashion brand, not just a custom suit shop. Um, we're going to get all of our stuff done in our name, um, whether that's jeans, suits, shirts, pocket squares, ties, we want to be able to completely um, completely own our brand. And part of the inspiration for that was is seeing the way that normal brick and mortar is going and seeing it not going in a great direction. Um, I saw an opportunity to try and pivot a little bit, try something new. Um, and it pretty much came down to the place I was working, wasn't willing to implement some of the ideas I had. So I had to make a decision whether it was stick it out here, wait until um, I have the opportunity to take over and make decisions 
um, and risk being too late to try out my idea or branch out on my own kind of in the dark and put the pieces together as we go. Um, and naturally I chose the latter and that's where we're at today. And you worked for a clothier that's been around since 1850, correct? Isaac Baker. Yeah, they've been, I think, I think this year is 171 years. They've been around same family owns them and everything. Wow. But you just hit on a word and that's what led you to bounce. Same. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I was, uh, I wasn't really comfortable with just riding on the name of the store, which is kind of what they were trying to sell me on as the buy value. I was like, well, names can be created overnight with the internet. So um, <laughs> I'm not going to stick around and hope that this is my, my golden goose. Um, I'm going to go out and try and actually make something that, that I believe in. So when did you launch Primo? So actually, um, funny story, back before I started doing tailoring, Primo was the name of my home improvement business I had started. Um, and that was kind of my trajectory at the age of 17 was I was going to do construction, home improvement, handyman work. And it was called Primo, Primo handyman, uh, handyman service. Um, or it was either that or Primo remodeling. I don't remember, but I just loved the name since back then. So when I got the opportunity to start a clothing line, I was like, what better than the Italian word for excellence? Um, so I kind of just re resurrected that old brand name and put it into clothing and I've just loved it ever since. Holy cow. So the name flowed in transitions and when you started Primo tailoring, were you doing that out of your home? Because I know now you're, you're about to launch a brick and mortar but what were you doing? Where were you conducting business prior to this planned launch of a brick and mortar? Yeah. So before Primo became a legitimate thing, I was operating under the name of uh, just Jeremita Alterations because I didn't have to file for a fictitious name. I didn't have to do all the crazy paperwork and I was able to do it just from my kitchen table. So um, for probably about three to four years, I was doing my own side alterations just because we were swamped at the shop and he was like, Hey, if you want to make some extra money, take some stuff home, advertise, yeah. see what happens. So I was doing that for about three years. Um, and come 2019, I had applied for a grant, a small business grant that, um, I was just taking a stab at seeing if I'd, I'd have a chance at it. And I didn't hear from them for about a year. Um, and it wasn't until the beginning of 2020 that they reached out and officially told me, Hey, you had re you received this lump of money. Um, which was the perfect amount to formalize an LLC um, that was able to get my fictitious name filed and all the stuff I needed. So from that point, Primo was born as a brand. Um, I liked the name. It was something I was always kicking around within those three years that I was just Jeremy to alterations at my kitchen table. Um, but with that little bit of financial backing, I was really able to propel that to the next level. Um, and then really from there, it's all just been escalating rather rapidly um, to this point. So from the beginning of 2020, I was working outside of my, my home still doing it at the kitchen table. Um, come December, 2020, I moved into my first location, which is the third floor back hallway of an arts and culture, um, building called PACA here in Erie, Pennsylvania. 
Um, and I've been here for about nine months and I'm already moving to a brick and mortar store that is probably three times the size of the shop I'm in now. So it's been quite the quick progression of, of changes. And when do you actually open up the new store, so to speak, the new location? Uh, um, so the the tentative date, I can't give anything in stone just because there's a few other people who are going to be opening in the buildings next to me. So I can't give away too much for them. Um, sure. But it's going to be it's going to be sometime in November this year. OK, so sometime fourth quarter. Yes, as long as all the building plans go to code and build, right. like building the shop. Right. And I understand, but right. It's not within your control. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're there going to uh, City Hall going, hey, what's going on? Yeah, exactly. Can we get these permits passed, please? I got, <laughs> I got to keep my word to Reginald. <laughs> so how does that feel? that you're about to open up your own store, Lewis. You've been working on this in your kitchen for years, and then you're in a, a building, which to me kind of served a stopgap measure in direct reflection to what you're about to do. How does it feel? Honestly, I don't think I've had too much too much time to sit and actually think about that. It, um, it doesn't feel real. Um, I'm almost like kind of expecting within the next two months just to be like, oh yeah, never mind. That's not actually going to happen. Um, just because of how quick it has all been happening, it's just been trying to solve one problem right after another. So like, I don't even think I truly, truly know how it feels. I mean, it's exciting for sure. I mean, this is kind of what I've been dreaming of doing for the past like six years. Um, but I don't think it's fully hit me yet that, that this could be happening in the next like two months. So, Austin, you're in a store that, again, has been around heck before I was ever thought of, much less the two of you. So you've made it clear because of COVID, some people are not interested in physically being in the store, but you have it covered. You're doing video. You're doing FaceTime. And like you said, if these individuals already have a profile in your system, it's, 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 very, it's very simple for you. Yeah, and yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was just agreeing with you. <laughs> Not a problem. When you look at the physical space, you've done a wholesale change for the perception of the store through video, through social media. I can only gather the footprint of the store. It seems rather large. My point is. Have you given thought to how the store, how the layout should continue to be? Or do you have ideas for changes that are 180 degrees in style in light of what you've done taking, taking this company through video to the 21st century? Every month when something important is going on, I send out my New York Fashion Geek newsletter to my fellow geeks. It drops on Fridays and it offers a quick glimpse into the world of the fashion geek. I offer some tips, and it's a nice, breezy read. To sign up, just head over to nyfashiongeek.com and fill out the welcome sheet. Yeah, I've, that's something that I've considered, and you know, through, through those considerations, 
I'm just trying to find the balance of, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want any, anyone to feel as if we're just completely changing and we're not the man shop of old where it's true. We're not the man shop of old because you know, that was at a different time and we're, we're progressing to be more up to date during the times, but still the base level is quality service first, quality garments and quality knowledge. So those are like some three main pillars. So, um, with, with the layout, you know, I try to keep things, uh, fresh. Um, unfortunately, um, we had a freeze in early, um, February and, uh, we had a pipe burst, but where that was actually good is that, uh, it caused us to, to recarpet the, uh, the store and we redid the, the back fitting room to kind of spruce it up a little bit. Um, we did a, uh, kind of a psychedelic, um, uh, round rug in the fitting room with, uh, like gray laminate on the ground where it was carpeted before. So it's, it's still got its, cause it, since it was built in the seventies, it's still got these big round circle windows and, you know, yeah, a lot of people come in just cause they want to see the inside. And so it's kind of funny when people do that. So we still try to keep, you know, little taste of, of that, but, you know, making sure it doesn't seem like a old dusty stodgy, you know, men's store that, you know, right. unfortunately a lot of people are, are used to, you know, it's got, you know, young and old and just a, a good balance of that. So, you know, thinking of, you know, potentially stepping into, uh, stepping into ownership there, you know, w- what are the changes that would be a benefit and what are the changes that would, uh, potentially harm the trust and, you know, in our friends, in our family and in, in, in our clientele. So that's something that I've considered, but there's nothing, you know, concrete at this point that, you know, I'd want to change. So Lewis, you have the ability with a brand new space to really create a vision for your client, for your customer. What are your plans for the store, aesthetically, floor plan. Well, I I'm glad you asked that because it's just something I've put a lot of thought into, um, mm. and kind of to like what Austin was saying. Um, I think it is interesting with his situation is because he has such such a long list of clientele that have been shopping there for years. Yeah, whenever whenever he wants to start to make changes, he has to be very. Um, very conscious of those other people to make sure that like he's keeping that authentic man shop, which for me, it's something until right now, I didn't even realize like, Oh, I get like a fresh slate. Like I can do whatever the heck I want because nobody knows who I am. Um, so I have been taking a lot of opportunities to, um, really try and create the store, um, in a, an experience base. I don't want it to be a normal brick and mortar where you come in and there's like 300 suits on the wall. 150 shirts for you to choose from 40 shoes. Like I want this to almost feel like you're stepping into like a curated closet of sorts. Um, and because we're doing everything custom, we want to do low inventory, um, but high product ranges. So more wide than we would probably go deep. Um, but yeah, so if you're talking about layout, when you first walk in, I really want you to be immersed in kind of like an old school, vintage tailor shop. I want you to feel like you just walked off of State Street in Erie and you are completely transported to this new world. And by doing that, I'm going to just have certain different textures in in the furniture, whether it's leather or velvet or um, just natural suit fibers just everywhere. Um, 
if we want to get really granular, I'm trying to look for scent machines to kind of like put off like a leather grassy scent um, just because mm. that's more of a nostalgia, uh, nostalgic scent for people. Um, but when you first walk in, I want it to be very unsales oriented and more like suit museum oriented. I want suits on the walls from different eras telling people about the creation of suits. Um, so you're really kind of taken off guard that it's not like sales right in my face. And then as you branch in a little bit further, um, that's where we're going to curate our um, custom area, our off-the-rack sales. It's going to be, again, very user-friendly, experience-based where you can try things on, have fitting racks. Um, and then the next layer after that, because my shop is like a very long rectangle, um, is going to be the tailor shop. So when you first walk in, you'll have a view of it, and it'll have the old table, the old machines. Um, and it's going to be where me and all my tailors are going to be doing our work so that you can really see it firsthand what is going into your garment in terms of alterations, which I think kind of will be a cool experience for people just to want to stop in and ch check it out, chat for a little bit. Um, we're not so focused on sales per square foot, more per um, the experience per square foot and really capitalizing on getting someone to come in, be so amazed or so thought provoked that they make someone to take a picture and post about it. Um, and that way it kind of creates a free sense of advertisement for the brand and the store. I like that you're going to have an exposed area for the tailoring. I'm certainly not trying to be indulgent, though this is my pod, but in my neighborhood, I have a shoe guy. I've been going to the shoe guy for many years. And the original layout, you could see them working on the shoes. And then a few years ago, he decided to put up a wall, and I pleaded with him. I said, Mikhail, please don't do this. I said, it really means a lot for people to see the work being done. And unfortunately, he didn't listen. <laughs> well, that's, that is very unfortunate. That, yeah, I'm not saying that business you know, was impacted because he didn't listen to me. But I think also because I've been going to Shoe Guys since I was a child, first with my late mom, much less on my own, seeing workmanship I think is always special in these type of instances, at least. So kudos to you to have an open floor layout so people can literally, they can see the sausage making. And I think it can kind of build the trust in your clientele where they can see, you know, exactly what the tailor's doing. And it's kind of a cool process because a lot of people are unfamiliar with what that looks like. So when Lewis had kind of given me that idea and he had told me what he was, you know, what he was planning on doing, I thought, man, that's, that's really neat. There's just something about seeing that process happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it keeps, it keeps the, the, the trait alive because people don't, everything I hear from people, Oh, no one's doing that. No one's tailoring anymore. So why not give them a view of what it looks like to have someone tailor something? Um, and then kind of to go back to the YouTube play, um, Primo is also trying to get into the education sector to where we are teaching people how to tailor eventually. Um, so having everything exposed and kind of walking through it and edging, educating people on what tailoring is, um, is going to be a huge part of our eventual, um, mission, um, when we go to branch out further. Well, Lewis, I love all these videos in which you preface by saying, this is so easy. You can do it. And I look and I go, no, I can't. <laughs> I can't. Oh, I can't, man. Lewis. I'm not doing now, it. Now, why not? Why Why do you say that? 
I'm afraid. So you don't I'm need. Afraid to I'm going to mess up. You've got me to guide and you. You'll be fine. No, I have. You know where I live. I have a tailor. I have other options. You'll okay. I'm going to tell you a story, and you're going to laugh. So I have an old J. Crew tie from back in the day. This tie arguably could be older than one of you. And the back of the tie, it, the thread started to unravel. It came apart. And then you could see literally the inner workings of the tie for a few inches, not the entire from top to bottom. So I had forgotten about it, to be honest, because due to COVID, I'm not suited and booted as Austin and I affectionately use that phrase in Clubhouse, which we're all part of. I decided, ah, it's time to take it to the tailor. And I know that it's simple job, but Lewis, you wouldn't want me to staple the fabric of the tie, would you? Well, but here's the thing. If you're thinking about it from a business perspective, I'm doing my job then because what I'm trying to do with my videos is to cater to the 1% of people who want to do it themselves and learn it and then sell to the 99% of people that look at it and are like, no, that's not for me. I'm just going to send it to Lewis to do it. <laughs> that's the real game there. I hear you. I gave it to my person and I thought it was a very expensive charge, but you know what? I don't know how to do it and I have unwillingness to learn. So that's the price I paid. So to co actually comment on that. So when I first started getting into the industry, I, I actually wanted to be a designer and make my own stuff. And I had this, it was, I think like one of the first ties that I had ever gotten and beautiful, you know, uh, red, uh, red tie with the uh, Navy and light blue stripe and the, uh, the, the keeper loop on the back, um, came off. And so I'm like, Oh, I'm going to stitch this up myself. And it was the worst job you have ever seen. I mean, just inconsistent, so nasty. And I could have taken it to, um, you know, our tailor and have him redo it. But I, I like, I actually leave it because every time I look at that, it reminds me of, you know, like, like I remember exactly where I was sitting. I remember the exact desk you know, and I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. And it wasn't the best job, but it got it done. And it just, it made me smile because I'm going, you know, I, like at first I wanted to be a designer or a tailor. And then now, you know, I'm, you know, like more on the business side and also like fitting people and I'm still designing and like curating looks for people, but I'm not actually making the clothes. So it just makes me grin every time I see that, even though it's horrible, it just makes me smile. I'm glad it makes you smile because if that were me, I'd just... I probably would have thrown it in the garbage. <laughs> I just, hey, I have other gifts and in putting uh, putting a needle to something with a thread is not one of them. Austin, you talked about being a designer. I never knew that. But what I do know is that recently you fitted your father mm -hmm. for a made-to-measure suit. Mm -hmm. What was that like? So I'd actually fit my brother before. So it was a cool experience to be able to, to help them both out. Um, my dad had told me when I was younger, when I first, you know, gotten my first job selling custom clothes, he goes, 
I'm going to buy a suit from you one day. I'm like, I would absolutely love that. And so I'm glad he didn't back then because my, my fitting skills back then were not as good as they are now. And so, uh, we were going to a, uh, a family friend's wedding. I mean, they're just so close to me. Like I call um, them aunt and uncle and then their daughters. I call them my sisters. Like we're just, we're close family. So, um, he, you know, needed a, he needed a suit. And so, you know, I got them all fit up and, if you go on my Instagram and you see that reel, you know, the jacket needed no alterations. It was just the pants that needed some adjustment. And it was cool to be able to fit my father who, you know, had been self-conscious about, you know, his body type and his physique for so long when he put that thing on, I mean, he felt great. I mean, it was comfortable. And on the inside, I call him Papa bear. And on the inside, it says this, this has been uh, custom tailored for Papa bear. And he didn't know that we were going to do that. And so when he opened it up, he's like, oh my gosh, it's my nickname. And so that was really cool. And when my brother got married, he had been, you know, pretty big the majority of his life. And then he got on a, not going to say health kick, but he took it, he took his health very seriously. And then he dropped like 60 pounds and I was able to, to fit him. Um, in a suit and this thing came out amazing. I mean, he looked, he looked great and I actually started crying. And the reason I started crying is because one, it meant a lot that I got to fit my brother and two, you know, I was just so proud of him. One, finding the woman that he was going to marry. Uh, they have a beautiful little baby boy right now. I am the like most proud uncle you will ever meet. I'll always talk about my little dude, Daniel, just love that guy. Anyway, the plug of my nephew is gone. Um, and now getting back into the fitting. And then, so, you know, he was starting a big moment in his life and I was just so excited to, to be a part of that. So it was, it meant a lot. So as I'm crying, trying to hold back tears, he's laughing at me. He's laughing so hard. He himself is crying and we're in the fitting room doing this. And so I'm getting pissed off, which is making me cry more. And so I'm like, shut up. This is stupid. Well, he starts laughing even more. So it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And so I actually mentioned that story, um, on my wedding toast. He's, you know, he chose me to be his best man. And so I was talking about how sweet that moment was, but I mentioned, I'm like, so this is a custom suit and everyone knew I was in the industry and they start laughing and I'm going, no, 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 this wasn't like, uh, this wasn't a shameless plug or anything like that. And then I pause and I go. But if it worked, you should come and talk to me afterwards because I'll get you fit up. <laughs> you know, and everyone just starts starts laughing. And always my, be plugging. Always be selling. <laughs> so I, I lean, my I come to find out later, my aunt leans over to uh, my my dad. You know, my dad's sister leans over to him and goes, "He has no shame, does he?" And my dad goes, "I guess not, because he's trying to sell suits at his brother's wedding." And so that's something we still laugh about to this day, but you know, it's, it's more than clothes because, or, you know, early on, my dad didn't understand, um, my passion. He's just like, you want to get into clothes. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And I'm like, dad, this is just what I love, what I want, you know, what I want to do. So he thought I was just dressing up to play a part, but I was trying to show him, you know, dad, this is a part of who I am. And this is how I express myself confidently. I'm being a hundred percent me. And so as he began to understand that, it was just such a beautiful, touching moment for him to support me through that as well. That's nice. I have questions for both of you. It's going to be kind of like a lightning round. And wonderful segue, Austin, because I've looked through your gram and I'm comparing myself to you at that age. 
Austin, how many suits do you have? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Um, suits, I would probably say uh, probably mm-hmm. 15 with about seven or eight sport coats slash blazers okay. with more on the way. Uh, uh, yeah, I know. I know how this works. <laughs> Trust me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lewis? Well, if we're talking about suits I wear on a daily basis, we're talking like five or six. If we're talking about the tubs and racks of clothing I've thrifted because I'm a serial thrifter, um, you're looking like probably like in the in the 20s. But they don't all fit me and all I don't right. wear them so all that- very regularly. So like five. Okay. And what about sport jackets? Ooh, sport jackets? I only I actually got rid of a bunch of them. I only have like three now. Yeah, I just got one. I just got one that was a mistake um order. Um so that makes three now. So like four suits, three sports jackets. All right, Lewis. Sounds like uh you have to catch up to uh, your big brother in fashion, Austin. Honestly. <laughs> I actually just uh, bought some stuff from him. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Buying my old clothes. Yep. Really trying to fill his shoes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I've i cited both of you. Yeah, you guys are nowhere near each other dimension-wise. Yeah, not even close. Yeah, yeah, not even close. Well, one thing so, to mention on that, too, I, I, one thing I wanted to add to that is I've actually cut down on my suits and stuff recently because – you know, I don't want to be one of these guys who is wearing other people's brands at my shop. Now there are a couple like vintage pieces I have every now and then that I'll wear, but you know, for the most part I'm going, if I'm selling this lifestyle, like, you know, outside of the shop, you know, if I'm going to my favorite cigar lounge, you know, a a local bar that I like going to, or, you know, uh, a nice restaurant in downtown Fort Worth or something like that. You know, if someone sees me and they know, or, you know, they find out that I'm in the industry, you know, I don't want them to be like, Oh, is this from you? Oh, no. Well, but I can make it for you. I've worked with clothiers in the past who did uh, actually not the best business. And they would like buy a suit supply garment or something off price, have their clients wear it. And someone's like, oh, that looks great. You know, is this you? Like, no, but I can make it for you. So they were cheating the system. So that's something that stuck with me. And, you know, I'm more suited and booted. I mean, living in Texas is kind of weird. I almost feel like I'm sinning, but... I only own one pair of jeans and I prefer being in more tailored clothing. And if I'm going to do that on a regular basis, it needs to be my brand. It needs to be a representation of, I believe in this. I'm all in on this. Right. You know what I think you're becoming? A clothes horse. Ostentatious. Ah, I see what you did there. Ah. Reginald's got jokes for days. I do. Yet I barely have shared any this evening. Why, gentlemen, is fashion important? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in there first. Um, I, I actually don't enjoy using the word fashion. I, I use the word style because in my and this is just me. This is my stance. Um, too often times, the word fashion is is connected to fast fashion and you know making things very cheaply and unethically, making things in sweatshops. So that's why I talk about. Style. So yes, we're in the fashion industry, 
but style is a little more personal. So style is an external expression of your internal personality and, you know, clothes are tools of communication. So why not have them speak well of you when you walk into a room before words even leave your mouth? Lewis, I would probably say I, I don't care using the word fashion. So I'm just going to throw out that out there. I think Austin's a little off his rocker. Just kidding. Um, I mean, I am, but we're not getting into that right now. Yeah, well, maybe that's the bonus content. Um, what I will say, though, is um, I think it's important, one, because you look at back at like every major moment in your life, minus your birth, and you're wearing clothing. So if we're doing something that we're doing on a daily basis, you might as well find a way to do it well and enjoy it. Um, not to mention, like Austin just said, the amount of um, – the amount of impact it has on someone's life, whether it's subconsciously or consciously. Um, I just think it's an interesting field that people really on the, on the normal day-to-day basis haven't really, haven't really dive into too much. What difference has fashion made in your lives? So personally Uh, for me, um, I would say it's, it's pretty much changed the entire course of my career. Um, so like I said, I started in um, I started in the construction industry, and I don't know how much digging you've done, Reggie, um, but you go through my Facebook profile pictures, and you are going to find some WAP doozies when I went through my Western phase. Um, and I could care less about clothing. I wore whatever. I didn't care. I just – but then once I finally learned the history of – I think it was the Chukka boot. Um, is when it all switched. And I was like, dang, this is really cool. And there's so much impact that clothing has on us. And from that point on, it kind of was like, okay, I'm out of, I'm out of construction. I'm going right into fashion. This is where I want to be. This is what I love. So for me, I mean, on a day-to-day basis, yes, you could argue that it helps me in certain ways, but just from a career point of view, it's kind of shifted the entire trajectory of where, where I am today. What's the top fashion tip that either one of you would give the everyday man so he could look his best. Try it out. And to partially answer that last question going into this is, you know, I started dressing when I was in college and I didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, I experimented with a lot of things through thrift stores and and mainly eBay. And, you know, if there were some pieces that my friends had, you know, I would either trade them for something or buy it, you know, whatever that was. And so, it was a lot of trial and error finding what I liked and what I different didn't like. You know, when I first started dressing up, I was buying these bold chinos and really skinny fits and, you know, crazy stuff like that. And then I started experimenting with the more of a full cut trouser and fell in love with the, you know, like husbands of Paris, like falling in love with that style and just trying different stuff out until it just settled. And I went, Ooh, I love this. Oh, I love this. So it's not one specific look. It's a lot of looks blended together. I would say find a tailor and become great friends with him. Boom. So, for both of you, individually, what does the phrase always be fly mean to you? You never know who you're going to see or what's going to happen. So why not be always prepared? Be prepared for any situation. Yeah, I would say that um, to me, it kind of goes into a mindset of um, 
get dressed and forget what you're wearing. Like make it become second nature to where you're just always looking good, whether it's at a niece's first birthday party or a big um, job proposal pitch. Um, always be fly. Just just let it be. Let it become natural for you. That sounds like a menswear mindset. Oh, absolutely. Hey, another plug, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, we pay Reginald Wealth to say that. Absolutely. <laughs> so how do you feel about the future of classic menswear? Is it in good hands? I think so. This is how this works. For those of us entering the second half of things, we once were the young guns trying to figure things out as we knew classic menswear was our thing. We may not be the old lines, but we're not 21 anymore. I applaud Austin and Lewis in their endeavors, and you should too. You can find both of them on the Menswear Mindset Podcast, which one day hopefully I'll be on. You can also find Austin on Instagram at Gentleman's Avenue and The Man Shop, and Lewis at Aspiring Gent and Primo Tail Ring, also on Instagram. And Austin... I have more suits than you. (laughs) Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun and are down for another one. Please tell a friend who could use some fashion help about the podcast or share an episode with them directly. If you enjoy the show, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Lastly, if you constantly struggle putting an outfit together and are looking to turn that confusion into confidence, I'd love to talk about how we can improve your life. Check me out at nyfashiongeek.com and email me at reg at nyfashiongeek.com for a consultation. A special shout goes for our producer search and everyone down with the Fashion Geek Podcast. If you have a story suggestion, you can email me at podcast at nyfashiongeek.com or hit me up on the Insta at New York Fashion Geek. And remember, always. Be fly.